Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out www.nowhearthis.biz. Be sure to sign up for the email newsletter there, which is quick and easy. All that's required is an email address. We are coming to you from Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out on the web at www.cbpro, as in Crystal Blue Productions, cbpro.net. Be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. We are thrilled to be on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Lots of great guests on Now You Hear This Entertainment, or as I've taken to calling it, NHTE. Joining me today here in the studio, my guest is a world-renowned violinist who has performed with some of the biggest names in music, ranging from Led Zeppelin to Ray Charles and Luciano Pavarotti. She has performed with 11 orchestras across the U.S. and has taught at major universities. She has published 30 authoritative books and is an avid composer. She has performed at Carnegie Hall and been featured in the New York Daily News. You've been hearing a song of hers entitled Concertino for String Trio and String Orchestra, Pastoral. It's my pleasure to welcome to now hear this entertainment, Eden Vanning. It's my pleasure to be here. Hi, Eden. Uh, thanks so much for coming in to do this today. Oh, I'm enjoying it. Great. Well, I don't know uh, if there's going to be enough time in this show to do <laughs> justice to all that you've accomplished. So let's start off first by having you talk a little bit about the song that we were just playing, Concertino for String Trio and String Orchestra Pastoral. I've done a lot of work with adults. I, I'm a teacher as well as a performer. And I um, conducted a group called Bay Area Chamber Strings, which was an adult orchestra, and I wanted to do something really special for them. So I wrote this piece, and we premiered it, and it was very special for them. Uh, approximately when was that? That was probably about 10 years ago. Okay, okay. And so done exclusively yourself, you, you composed this all on your own? It was composed by me, and when I made the recording that you heard, all the violins, or 16 tracks of violin, I played... The violas, there's eight tracks of viola. I played that. And um, I had a cellist come in special and pianist come in special. But it was basically, I did overdubs, one on top of the other. I was just going to say that it's appropriate since we're here in a recording studio. <laughs> so you said 16 tracks of violins. Right. And it's exactly what it sounds like, right? That means that there were 16 different tracks exactly. on, the, on the mixing console. And, and you were... I so, played it 16 times. Wow. Yeah, wow. and there's a first violin and a second violin, so that means I did eight times on the first violin and eight times on the second violin. And, and did, it, did that just take days because it sounds like a mountain of work? <laughs> no, it actually didn't. I, I made myself a click, a click track, and I kind of, this is probably the first time I ever used a click track that was actually a click track. I went <laughs> like that, and then I could follow that so there was no conductor. I just did it. Wow. So, and the, the audio uh, gentleman said it can't be done, but... It was fun. We did it. <laughs> he said it can't be done, and you said, I'm about to prove you wrong. <laughs> well, we just had fun together, so he had said he really enjoyed it, so it was fun. Very nice, very nice. Well, uh, I'm glad that, that you started to go down that road because I said in the intro that you were a violinist, but in fact, you've also been successful with students in uh, viola and cello. Um, so I assume that means that you play those as well. I, I, so I guess I guess give the listeners some background 
on what instruments you play and maybe how long you've been playing each one? Well, I'm a passionate teacher. And so I play viola, I play violin, I play some cello, but my hands are very small, so I don't perform that. But um, I've done it since, well, this is my 50th year of teaching. Wow. And um, I've taught these instruments. I taught them at University of Wisconsin. I taught at Northern Arizona University. I taught at University of Southern California. And my job was to teach teachers how to teach. And I've had quite a few successful, I mean, my, my viola students, some have gotten full scholarships to Vanderbilt University on viola. My violin students have basically been award winners in national competitions. And when I was teaching at USC, I had a group that I was coaching in chamber music. And that's what got me into teaching was basically I put them in the Coleman Chamber Music Competition, which is a national competition, and they were one of the winners. So I love teaching. I love performing. It's just I'm kind of a dual person. <laughs> I, I I'm always drawn to that expression that you used when, whenever people talk about uh, that they are someone who teaches teachers because an, our, our, our initial reaction, it's just, I think it's in, in our human being, in our human nature rather, to automatically say, oh, I bet you there's a lot of resistance there for someone to teach the teachers, but logic would dictate, well, they have to learn from somebody. So I, I imagine that you find them to be very receptive or, or am I being presumptuous? They're totally receptive because violin has a reputation as a very hard instrument to teach. And basically, I've researched it for 25 years or more. I've done major research on every single violin um, method out there mm. and came up with the simplest things I can do for each method. And the thing people don't realize is because there's so many violin methods, they think, oh, my gosh, you know, you can play violin many, many different ways. Well, the methods you see are just roots, like roots of a tree that go up to a stem and a, um, a trunk of a tree, which is just violin playing. And so when you research it, there's only so many things that can be done to get you up to be a professional mm. violinist. Wow. And I researched those, and the students I taught at the university, a lot of them came in, they were trumpet players, a lot of them were violin viola players, but the thing was, they were going to go out and they were going to teach in public schools, or they were going to teach in all sorts of different places, and there's no real one codified way to teach the instruments. So they're mm. getting little bits here, little bits there, and it's like, you know, it's like, you know, good luck to them. <laughs> so what I did was, after I did my research, I made the students keep copious notes, and they had to turn in a notebook at the end of the semester, so that if they went out and five years later they found themselves teaching violin or viola, they wouldn't know exactly how to do mm. it. And so what happened was that in, I guess it was about, well, it was about 10 years ago, the public schools took strings out of the, out of the school system, mm. which was really a big mistake because string players have a tendency to get 4.0 um, grade point averages, 4.2, 5.0, and they, they are like the highest in the class. So basically I got really concerned about the nature of um, playing an instrument. Was it, Excuse me, was, sure. it, was that here in Florida? Was it nationwide? Was it... Nationwide. Okay. And they were taking it out. Not of all the public schools. There's still many schools that have good programs, but most of the schools had the strings removed. And that was a shame because the kids that were in those programs were doing so well. So, and I've been trained by some of the most major um, teachers, a lot of Russians, Blinder. Um, I've studied with Galamians students and the major students, and I know all the basics of the Russian school and the major schools. So I took, undertook it to write a, um, a book system where all the beginning steps are actually in there that every teacher needs to teach to get a, a great violin student. And so this has taken me 25 years to do. Well, but so. I like that you said that, you know, in, in other words, you didn't just say take notes because 
That's what any teacher would say because perhaps people don't consider the fact that just because you study something doesn't mean that when you're finished, you're automatically going to get a job in what you just studied. So you made a good point in saying that maybe five years later, all of a sudden they're in this position where they have to say, gee, what did I learn five years ago? And they can draw from these notes and say, okay, now it's coming back because even if they played themselves, they might have a tendency after five years to just kind of come up with their own method of teaching as opposed to you saying, look, I want you to take notes because this is the way I want it to be taught. This is the way it deserves to be taught is maybe the better way to say it. Well, this is the way that works because before I release a book, I have 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds teach it. Mm. And they have to teach each book for a whole year. Wow. If those children can teach a book and get a good product and a nice student playing, then I know I can release wow. those books and anybody can do it. That's fascinating. When did you, when did you come up with that, this idea of, of, of having a, a child teach it? I've actually wanted to do that for about over 30 years. And so I started a program at the YMCA. It's called Musical Alternatives Program. And it was at High Point, and it was for underprivileged kids. And I couldn't just go get teachers to come to it because it was an um, underprivileged area. Mm. And so I brought my class, all my students over, and I had all these books, and I turned the students loose with underprivileged kids. (laughs) And we got articles and highlights for children. I mean, the kids were just doing so well. And that program is flourishing. Students from that program have won national competitions. And kids today that graduate from that program are still teaching other kids in that program. Outstanding. And I, and I want to back up. I like the analogy that you used before about the tree and, and the roots. I think that gives the listeners a good picture of, of what you're saying because you hear someone say they did 25 years of research on the violin and you think, oh my gosh, this is going to be something very intricate and really deep and tough to, to wrap your head around. But in essence, you you boiled it down to say, yeah, it, 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 there's some complexities to it. However, picture it like this and don't be so overwhelmed. Yeah, this is what works. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like when we first started having computers and you'd, you'd think, well, only university professors can teach computers or understand computers. And now you look at it, the best computer operators are often the 10 and 12 year olds. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> why couldn't the field of violin have the teachers of their 10 and 12 year olds? Yeah, in fact, uh, at at my church every Sunday, I see uh, they only have one violin player with, with the uh, with the music, and I, I couldn't even tell you how young he might be. He's 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 that young. He he may be ten, eleven, twelve years old at the most. Mm-hmm. That's that's normal for for young players, and some of those kids are really really good and play really well. Yeah, well, I'm no violin expert, but but, <laughs> but what I hear every Sunday sounds really beautiful. Yeah. Well, if you look at the field of violin playing, I mean, it came from like 400 years ago. And teachers have been teaching successful players for over 400 years. Mm. So there is a really good technology out there to do it. It's not like we're reinventing the wheel. (laughs) But it was a matter of codifying it to make it simple. And that's what I did. You know, I I always say that I gear this show in large part to up-and-coming musicians. Uh, I'm sure they're going to learn something from you today if they haven't already in in the short (laughs) bit that we've been talking. But with as many years as you've been at this, I know you're going to tell me that you still, to use the old cliche, learn something new every day. So what learning methods work best for you at this stage in your career? Do you read books? Do you attend workshops? Do you study under someone and or have a mentor? What's the case for you? I find personal personal inspiration to be what it is. is I hear a song I really like, I hear something I want to play, and then I've got enough technology right now that I can figure out exactly how to do it. Mm. And I know how to produce a beautiful sound out of violins, 
I know the fingering, how to do fingering, and I know the bowing. I know exactly the physics, the science behind how, it, how an instrument works. So basically, I just sit down and do it. And I've played pieces like one time someone said, can you play the Mendelssohn Concerto? The soloist is sick, can't play it. And in less than 24 hours, I was soloing in front of an wow. orchestra doing the Mendelssohn. But wow. I played it the five years earlier. Mm-hmm. But it seems like once you're professional, you're not nervous. It's just like, okay, there's a job. <laughs> I want to do it. I'm excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> so you get wow. up in front of the orchestra and you have fun. <laughs> well, a lot of this, a lot of this feels familiar to me in the sense that uh, listeners, if if you want to hear a, a similar interview when when you're done listening to this episode with Eden, uh, go back to episode 103. Uh, I guess that was about uh, maybe nine weeks ago. Uh, Ned Ginsburg was the guest on that episode. He uh, was was on the line from New York talking to me. He's a composer and orchestrator. And so uh, it was a similarly interesting interview. I learned a lot from him. And, and what I'm getting at, Eden, is I wonder in your case, uh, something that you just said made me wonder. If you, know, if you hear a song that you really like and it has no orchestration to it, are you someone that will do your own arrangement of a song just because you heard it on the radio or, gee, I haven't heard that song in 20 years? And, you know, this is something I could probably come up with my own arrangement for. I am arranging songs almost every month. That's one of the things I do. And I usually stay in the public do- um, public domain. Mm-hmm. But um, I have children that play all the time in the community, students. And someone would call, like, just last week, they called and said, we want you to come over and play Irish. So the last month, I just did quickly, took the Irish tunes and made my own arrangements. And last Thursday night, we played them. They were all my arrangements. And the kids got up, and they were fabulous, seven-year-olds up to 15 years old. Oh, my gosh. They were playing, you know, Irish paddywhack, (laughs) all that good stuff. (laughs) So, yeah, I just arranged. Once you've got the skills and the technology, it's just a matter of having the inspiration, which is what I say, the, the passion, the inspiration, and it's just all of a sudden you're in action and you're doing it. Fantastic. Uh, there's a question that I sometimes ask near the end of the show, kind of for fun. But with you, I think I'm going to ask it now in a way that's more about us setting the stage here for the listeners. Uh, you're a, a concert violinist, a teacher, a composer, an author, and then you even do some visual art. So can you clarify all those different roles, uh, meaning talk maybe about which of those you do the most, which you do the second most, and so on? I don't have that type of, of, of lineup on what I do. I do whatever I want to do. Like if I want to do a project of writing another book, I'll incorporate my skills at, at doing art. I'll incorporate my English skills, my ability to take something that's very complicated and break it down into some real simplicities. And then I'll do what I normally do. I'm very able to visualize the exact sequence Adults use my books all the time, and they love it because I sequence things that are totally natural. I don't make them jump and do things they can't do. It's just very natural. And my father-in-law was principal harp of the New York Philharmonic, mm. and he took me to breakfast one day, and he says, okay, let's look at your books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, so I brought him. We sat, and he would ask me questions. Okay, well, now that you did that, what about this? And he turned the page, and on the next page, that was there. So it's very, very – it's it's – Sequential, In other words, exactly what you should do next is on that next page. And I've done that in my own teaching. I'm teaching, and I think, well, that child needs to know this. And the process of that, I turn the page myself, and sometimes I'm like, whoops, there it is on the next page. So that's the part that I try to do. I try to not only make it simple, but make it sequential so that everybody's questions are answered. And adults love them. So in other words, 
there is no such thing as a typical day for you. It it, it varies greatly (laughs) from one day to the next, whether one day you are composing or the next day you're performing or the next day you're teaching and so on. Exactly. Well, three weeks ago from today, I did a um, um, lecture at the National String Teachers um, um, Conference in Tampa. Um, The next day I got an award from the Sheriff's Department for making the community safe. The next week I was working on my Irish tunes and it's just like life is just to me it's fun there's always <laughs> something to do and there's the skills and you take whatever skills you need and you just always keep yourself polished so it sounds to me then as though and i guess the best way to phrase it i was going to say that this is your full-time job meaning all those different hats that i talked about everything to do with music is your full-time job exactly. yes exactly yes it is i use everything <laughs> And, and it sounds to me as though it's a full-time job that you enjoy. It's, it's a labor of love. Totally labor of passion, labor of love. And if I can get someone else to have the passion, then they can have someone else have the love of music and accomplish the goals they want, then I've achieved my goals in life. So is the secret, uh, after doing it for all these years, to still love it as much as you do, is the secret having the inspiration that you talked about earlier? Yes, it's to keep it fresh. Always, like, if you have ideas, don't put the idea on a shelf and sit there and say, well, I'm going to do it someday because that's exactly what you're going to say five years later. Gee, I'm going to do it someday. But if you decide to do it, take the little steps, figure them out, and, you know, every day get up and say, I'm going to do this much of it, this much of it. And the next thing you know, you look back, you have it done. And then you work on the next project. Well, and as I talked about on uh, on our big milestone episode um, a couple months ago on episode 100, with Lindsay McCall, who is a national touring and recording Christian artist, tomorrow is not guaranteed for any of us. Exactly. So to put those ideas on the shelf and say, maybe someday I will arrange this song my own way, or I will write a book, that day might not come. You've got it spot on. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I am Bruce Warzniak, and joining me today here in the studio is renowned violinist Eden Vanning. Visit her official website at www.theviolinbook.com. There is a lot of information there, and of course, a lot of books that you can purchase through that site. Plus, there is contact information there, so you can contact Eden for more information about the various projects that she is involved with. Be sure that you're also checking out www.nhte.net, as in Now Hear This Entertainment, nhte.net. For every episode of this show, we've got the full audio plus the guest's photo, a link to their website, and quotes from the guest on each show. Sign up for the e-newsletter at nhte.net and subscribe to this podcast and tell others about it too. Subscribing is free, and it makes it so easy to get the show every week on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or by, they call it following, on SoundCloud. Go ahead and use the social media buttons on nhte.net to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and to follow on Twitter and or Instagram. If you're a new listener to the show, thank you very much. And do check out some of the prior episodes of Now Hear This Entertainment. We've had a lot of great guests along the way so far. I mentioned just two of them already. Uh, Ned Ginsberg from episode 103 and Lindsay McCall from episode 100. And as always, many, many thanks, of course, to those who are not first-time listeners. We are up to 111 countries around the world where the show has gotten listeners from. I very much appreciate all of you and the time and your interest and support. Uh, Eden, let's talk um, for a minute specifically about the teaching that you've done. Sure. Uh, Northern Arizona University, University of California, 
and the University of Wisconsin, plus you were named Teacher of the Year for the state of Florida. Uh, I think you're going to say that you don't want to talk about yourself uh, and, and would rather mention the success of your students. Um, you started to mention a little bit of it before, but but just if you would elaborate on, on some of the success and, and maybe there's a, a few people in particular that you'd like to give a specific example of something that they might have gone on to. Well, most of my students are still playing today. They're playing and teaching. I've got a lot of students teaching. Students are performing, and I've got them all over the country. I call them my family. <laughs> and um, I have some out in Arizona that are quite good teachers, quite good performers. Some have gone on and won the National Federation of Music Clubs competition, been in the 17 national competition, um, gone to Europe. So my, I'm very proud of my students. They mm -hmm. work hard. I've had some students that while they were studying with me, um, be gymnast, and some have gone off and been the second, not the very top gymnast that are going to get in the wow. Olympics, but the second level wow. of Olympic caliber. Kids have been cheerleaders while presidents of their schools. Mm. Um, it's just like my my students are always like this. This um, last year, one of my young boys, he was only a freshman in high school, was on the robotics team and was a state one of the state champions, placed in the state. So Amazing. it just seems that when a person studies music, they seem to be good at everything else. Yeah, and shame on me because I, I usually pri I do pride myself in usually remembering all the trivial facts about past episodes of this show, even though we are over 100 now. But I know that specifically there was an episode where I talked with a guest about the fact that, as you just said, uh, if you are someone that is studying music, you tend to do better in some of your other subjects. I, I wonder, I, I, I do uh, have a, a list of questions here in front of me, and, and this was not on there, but I'm looking at that list. Northern Arizona University, the University of California, the University of Wisconsin, Teacher of the Year is named by the state of Florida. So what state were you born in? California. <laughs> okay, and so then how how did you manage to, to get around the country so much and, and have all these different positions? Because you've really covered a lot of ground in, here in the U.S., well, basically, I could tell you the old adage of practice hard. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? You practice, practice, practice. <laughs> well, I actually had a fire chief for a father. Mm -hmm. And he was very much like I, I thought a lot of him because he's a fire chief, and he, he knew how to do almost everything. And he was always right there for me, and he was in the front row, and he knew how to whistle. That was about all he could do in music. <laughs> and I grew up with a mother that had studied opera. In fact, she was an opera singer. She never really had a career out of it. But we had classical music on in the house at all times. And mm. I was always encouraged. Well, that's the first step is to have a family that's very encouraging. Second step is have a really, really good teacher. And I had Charles Meacham. He was a professional violinist. He studied with Naomi and Blinder. Blinder was one of the top um, Russian teachers wow. who lived in um, California by where wow. I was. So I had really, really good um, teaching. And then by practicing, the next thing I know, I auditioned for Eastman School of Music, and I got first chair and concertmaster of the orchestra. In fact, I've been concertmaster of 11 orchestras um, in about 10 years. Which and is Eastman is in Rochester, New York. Rochester, yes. New York. And I got a Stradivarius. I got to use the Strad for the whole year, and, and my career just blossomed. I had phenomenal teachers out there. And then I went out to USC, where I was a teaching assistant, and my students started winning competitions. And from there, I went to Northern Arizona University. My students did really, really well. And University of Wisconsin. And that's when I got really interested in I need to write my books. Mm. Because that was one thing I noticed, that the quality of students going into universities every year seemed to be dwindling a little bit there. Mm. English was worse, you know, and stuff like that. 
And I had seen that what happens when you're a music student, everything's much better. So, um, in fact, I'll tell you one story right now. I had a young girl at my YMCA project, an underprivileged project, and her father lost a job. And the mother needed to have pass a math test to get into nursing school so they could support the family. Mm-hmm. And because my young student had taken violin, her math scores soared. And <laughs> she turned around and she coached her, mother, her mother and got the <laughs> mother into nursing school. Oh We're talking about a 12-year-old. Wow. wow. So it's very hard when you have the vision and you see exactly what area that you're working in and what the results are to not get passionate about it. <laughs> well, and speaking you know? of vision, I, I wish the listeners had, had vision for, for this setting right now. I know this is an audio podcast only, but as, as Eden talked about uh, going to the Eastman School in Rochester, she got a smile on her face. And before, when I was talking about all of her teaching endeavors and she started sharing about the successes of her students, she immediately got this big smile on her face. So I can tell that, that you're very proud of of all of your own accomplishments, but obviously of, of the many people that, that you've touched over the years as well through your teaching. Well, I think you have a passion for playing your instrument. You have a passion for performing. But the real passion is when you see that you can share it with others. And others are doing better and their lives are changing because of your passion to help them. And to me, it's like, okay, in another, okay, this, this whole field of violin has been, the technology's been 400 years now. Well, there's going to be another 400 years and right now, the way we're going with, with less people learning to read music and things because they're using more computer equipment, if you don't have that in 400 years, what's going to happen to our technology, especially the technology of strings is being replaced by electronic devices. Mm. So that was another passion of mine was to write down everything I could and get it in, illustrated and step by step. So in 400 years from now, we have violins and violas and cellos and orchestras and and the type of excitement we have right now for kids to do hands-on training. Well, not to mention that electronics are great until there's a power outage, and <laughs> if you can actually pick up a real violin in your hand and play it, then there's, you know, then you don't miss a beat. No pun intended. So that you know, there's certainly uh, some advantages and disadvantages to to doing things electronically. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is when you're posting online about somewhere that you're playing, be sure to tag the venue. They will take note that you are promoting their venue and will appreciate you're making an effort to get people there to see you and they might even retweet you and or share your Facebook post or Instagram post. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. How about that? Helpful? There are a whole bunch of tips just like that over all the prior episodes of this show to make it easy for the listeners out there who are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers to get the tips in one concise format. There is a Bruce's Bonus Book, Volume 1, and a Bruce's Bonus Book, Volume 2, for purchase in ebook format, giving you all the tips from Episodes 1 to 40 and 41 to 80, respectively. Just go to www.brucesbonusbook.com for online ordering and instant delivery. Uh, in addition to teaching, though, you've also presented lectures at string teacher conferences. You've judged violin competitions, you even spearheaded an international chamber music competition for piano trio. So at this point, I really want to stop and have you talk about time management because, you know, granted, it has been over a period of time, but 
this is really quite a long list of tasks that you've taken on. So how do you manage to keep up with so many different tasks and commitments? Because I think it is helpful for those that are listening right now who are young up and comers that are trying to do the same thing, that they're trying to wear a few different hats and waiting for their career to take off in one of the directions to understand from you the time management aspect, because that's so crucial because you can tend to get a little too bogged down or discouraged and you don't do anything. And here you've got this whole mountain in front of you. Well, one thing I do is I organize and that's one of the secrets. And I have a notebook and in that notebook, I put down what all my projects are. And under every single project, I put my steps. So mm. if there's ever a day, wow. yeah, that's the only thing I can do to make this, to keep myself from going crazy with all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, right now I have like 14 more books I'm in the process of writing. And every oh single gosh. one, I keep them into binders and I put them in separate places. And as I collect information, I put them in the binders. And I'm very, very organized, especially in structuring myself by, as I said, making a list of what I need to do. And then if one day I get a little downtime, <laughs> it's like not much, but if I do... I can go to that list and say that needs to be done, or I can give myself a target. And this was one of the things I did. I used to, when I conducted the Tampa Bay Youth Symphony, which I was one of the first conductors of it, I used to um, target myself to write pieces for the kids. And then I would give myself one morning to write a movement in, which is something like Beethoven did. You know, it's like you've got X amount of time, write it because you need to have it. And then by that night, by seven o'clock was the rehearsal, I would have the parts taken out of the movement and the kids would be rehearsing it. So I would target myself sometimes with unreal targets. And then because I was, as a kid, I used to love to do this trick with my teacher. He would assign me three or four hard things. And so I would come in with five or six. And it was just <laughs> what I did because I could reach those targets. And so I do the same thing right now. I target myself. I have to do this, but maybe I'll throw this one in too. And it's just, it's a game that you play with yourself, you know, and it doesn't stop me having fun because I have fun too, you know, but... <laughs> It's a game, and I love to play that game because it's just really important that, to me, the string music gets out and kids and even adults. I mean, a lot of adults go to chamber music workshops. They want to learn to play an instrument, and adults don't get the chance because they say, well, it's too hard. Mm. So my job is to make it easy so anyone and everyone can accomplish their goals and what they want to do. Are you having fun right now? Yes, I'm having fun right now. Great, great. <laughs> this is another fun thing. <laughs> well, you know, I wonder, though... Um, how do you how do you feel about uh, in country music they call it the fiddle, you know, I and, love and they it. play it real fast and it's nothing at all like the type of. I'm, I'm interested to hear you say that because I think that our culture decides that this is one group of people over here that that are involved in the type of music that you do, and the country people that that have fiddle in their in their music is way over here, and the two shall never meet. <laughs> oh, I've played so many fiddle things. Doc Severinsen, I played with him. I did mm. I'm Just a Country Boy by John Denver. Um, I have a very hot Orange Blossom special. But I'm going to plead, I'm going to plead <laughs> ignorance here. Is, I'm going to plead ignorance. Is there a difference in the actual instrument, or is it a violin just played quickly? It's a violin played quick, quickly. It's just a style. And there's not, if you've practiced your beginning information and your beginning technology, you can branch off wherever you want. It's like okay. a whole bunch of technology you do at the beginning. It's like the roots of the tree. And then you happen to go up to the trunk that's, mm. that's country instead of the trunk that's classical. Okay. Instead of the, I, I play jazz instead of the trunk that's, the trunk that's jazz ah. or instead of the trunk that that's. But you have to have the roots mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you have to have that technology down. Yeah, because you'll talk to a country artist and you'll say, uh, who's the violin player in your band? And, and they will politely 
correct you by saying, well, let's see, uh, m- there's myself, I play guitar, there's so-and-so, our drummer, so-and-so who's our fiddle player. They'll never say it's their, their violin player. They'll always say it's their fiddle player. <laughs> but you're right. That, uh, again, the, the tree analogy is very helpful. And I liked when you talked about putting everything down in the book and the system that you used. Uh, I have a client who's not in music at all. He's uh, a corporate trainer. He's a speaker. He's a consultant. He's a life coach. And he always talks about goal setting, and he and he uses this acronym uh, of SMART, S M A R T, and he said and he says that that stands for the goals should be uh, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time stamped. That's what S M A R T stands for, and that's exactly what I thought of. As I, I thought, well, no wonder she's accomplishing all these things because she's doing goal setting, and she actually has, you know, you're not just keeping all your ideas in your head and saying one of these days I need to make sure that I get around to the book because I haven't done that recently. You're writing them down. Exactly. I'll tell you when I was um, in college, I wanted to get into this audition. I was only a freshman, and it was the Stockton Symphony audition. I wanted to do it. It had a tremendous amount of things I had to learn, and it was like, wow, a whole two movements of a Bach unaccompanied and things like that. And I only had over Christmas to learn all this. So I went home mm. and I made practice charts for every single thing I was going to do. Wow. And I targeted myself every day, I got to get this much. And I won't go to sleep until I get it. And I did it. I didn't go to sleep till mm. I got it. And by the time I went back to school in January, I had everything learned. And that was just a matter of polishing it. Of course, I won the competition. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm enjoying this. And uh, listeners, I, I hope you are too. I, I do challenge myself to try to uh, break up things every once in a while and, and add some variety to the show and, and not just have it be uh, very predictable um, week after week. So hopefully you're finding that to be the case um, so far. And uh, Eden, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to get you here into the studio uh, today. Um, let's move on because we certainly want to talk about all your books. As, as I understand it, and, and I'm going to put this in the form of a question so that you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you've been successful with getting someone who has never played before to sit down and be able to play in 30 days because of your book. Is is that correct? Well, yeah, it's around 30 days, depending on the person. They can get basics in, some basics. But um, basically, I've had some children that were 11 years old in nine months go through my books, five of my books, and audition like in Chattanooga Youth Symphony. There's three youth symphonies in the program. And I had one girl in nine months, 11 years old, no teacher, no parent, go through five of my books, audition for the Chattanooga Youth Symphony, got into the middle youth symphony, assistant concertmaster. Mm. She turned around and used my books with her little sister. And the next year she got the little sister to be concertmaster. And mm. this, is, this is the way it works. It's like very, very simple. It's a check sheet format, meaning that every single step they do is broken down and there's an illustration for each little step. And each little step, the first book basically focuses on a big, beautiful, rich sound. And people don't realize that if the sound on a violin is not good, people go running out of the room screeching. <laughs> so the first thing I do, I separate the sound from using the left hand. And by separating the two, the child learns exactly how to make the sound. It's all based on very, very simple, simple scientific um, terms so that the child understands how that instrument works why they place the bow the way they do, how the bow operates. And it's step-by-step, so they get each step. And then they go on and they learn how to put the fingers down correctly. They learn how to get the strength in the body. Body muscles are so important. If you don't Mm. have the strength, the child's not going to go anywhere. The bow's just going to be a result of gravity knocking the bow down towards the floor. And you're going to get that famous squeak that violins are, are notorious for. 
but my system keeps those squeaks out and teaches how to get a correct sound. So it's well, fun. maybe maybe I've been trying to learn the wrong instrument because I've been, gosh, probably at, at least two years on the guitar, and and I still. I'm not where I want to be. I, I was telling this the story to uh, Matt Bednarski. He was here in the studio about a month ago, uh, episode 108. Listeners, if you want to go back and hear uh, me talking about that with Matt Bednarski, <laughs> but um, you know, to hear these results that people are having are having with the violin because of your book are tremendous. And, and while we're on the subject of your books, I'm amazed that you illustrate your own books. Uh, just tell us a little bit about the visual arts aspect of your career. Well, we can stay, say it started when I was five years old. My mm. mom took my brother and I for lessons. And while my brother had his lessons, my mom gave me crayons and paper. And I started illustrating and drawing. And then the, vice versa, when I took the lesson, my brother did it. <laughs> and I loved it. So I cartooned, caricatured, and drew since I was like five years old. And I loved it. And it's very simple for me to illustrate today because I've got that background. Mm. I am Bruce Wozniak, and joining me today here in the studio is renowned violinist Eden Vanning. Visit her official website at www.theviolinbook.com. There's a lot of information there and, of course, a lot of books that you can purchase through that site. Plus, there is contact information there, so you can contact Eden for more information about the various projects that she is involved with. Be sure that you're also checking out www.nhte.net as in now hear this entertainment, nhte.net. For every episode of this show, we've got the full audio on nhte.net along with the guest's photo, a link to their website, and quotes from the guest on each show. Sign up for the e-newsletter at nhte.net and subscribe to this podcast and tell others about it too. Subscribing is free and it makes it very easy to get the show every week on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or by following on SoundCloud. Go ahead and use the social media buttons on nhte.net to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and to follow on Twitter and or Instagram. If you're a new listener to the show, thank you very much. And please do check out some of the prior episodes of Now Hear This Entertainment. We've had a lot of great guests along the way so far. I mentioned a few of them already. Episode 108 with Matt Bednarski and then episode 103 with Ned Ginsberg and the Milestone episode 100 with Lindsay McCall. I should also mention episode 57 with Ron Modell, who is a longtime trumpeter, uh, actually uh, was very close with Quincy Jones. Um, he was here in the studio as Eden is today, and just like Matt Bednarski was. Um, go back and listen to episode 57 with Ron Modell. That, that interview reminds me a lot of this discussion that we're having here today with Eden. Uh, the... Um, Long-time listeners who have been with me, boy, just thanks ever so much. I say it on the show every week because it means that much to me. I'm really grateful for your continued time and your interest and support. Speaking of um, Ron Modell with uh, Quincy Jones, Eden, I'm really excited to hear about your having performed with some of the top names in music. Wow. Luciano Pavarotti, Ray Charles, George Benson, Natalie Cole. This list, but listeners, goes on and on. Um, but but Led Zeppelin, though, you toured with them. How, how in the world did you get that opportunity, and, and did you enjoy it? I loved it. I loved every second of it. I always love playing with all these people because when you go talk to them, they're wonderful to talk to, and you, you think you'd go to talk to Led Zeppelin or talk to any of these guys. But they love to come up and tell you all their secrets and talk about yeah. it. In fact, I'll tell you one thing that happened with Pavarotti. He was cutting green apples. <laughs> we all went up and said, why are you cutting green apples? And he said, well, if you ever get anything in your throat and you can't sing, green apples cuts it so that you can sing and your voice comes back. Hmm. So a good friend of mine, about 
three months ago, her daughter was auditioning for a, a college in New York, and she, I had told her the Pavarotti um, secret that he had told me, <laughs> and her daughter woke up and was having trouble because of allergies that day, so she went out and bought a green apple, and the daughter not only did great at the audition, but she's in the school in New York having the time of her life. Outstanding. And so you learn so much stuff from talking to these guys, and they're so human when you talk to them. That's and everyone always so great thinks, to hear. Yeah, they think it's not true, but they're so human. They love to talk. So do you remember how specifically that opportunity came up to go on tour with Led Zeppelin? Yes, someone called me. I was always called by people around the different state. Um, they called me to play the George Benson. In fact, I hired the George Benson Orchestra down in Sarasota. Mm. Um, I Just all over the state, people would call me and say, "Can you? are you free this day? Can you come? We're doing a state tour. Would you like to play? Sure, I'll be there. So I went. And it's just real fun, but every single one's different. Like to get into a Led Zeppelin concert, you have your backstage passes, mm. and you're walking to the backstage, and people are screaming at you, I'll give you $500 for that pass. Wow. You know, wow. and it's like, you know, and you get backstage, and you're tripping over cords everywhere, and there's a policeman every two feet. <laughs> Did you play with them in the U.S. only? Yes, I played them. They had tours throughout the whole United States. Because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Listeners, Eden's bio is is so long that it, it would take us two episodes to get through <laughs> everything that she's done. But I, I thought that I saw somewhere in there, and I'd be surprised if this is not the case. You've performed internationally, I'm sure, not oh, yeah. just in the U.S. The Queen of Aruba, all over the place I've played. Wow, amazing, yeah. amazing. Well, you touched on this a little bit, but but I, I want to make sure, uh, because we're almost out of time, I want to make sure that we also talk uh, about something you, you referenced earlier for 15 years you have directed uh, an underprivileged musical alternatives violin program at the high point ymca in fact you've <laughs> received the ymca volunteer of the year yes. award um so rather than me actually sit here and just read to the listeners a description just talk a little bit more about the work that you've been doing meaning the the musical alternatives violin program well it's a neighborhood where kids would be on the street they would be doing drugs and they would mm. be in gangs that were not good. And the Florida Orchestra and the Junior League and the YMCA and I teamed up at that point in time. And I had just written the books and I wanted to take them out and, and use them in the community. And they wanted to clean up the area of drugs and, and that. So we just all decided that a string program would be the best thing in the world for the kids. So we started the string program and the Junior League gave us 27 violins because I wow. went in there. And what happened was I wanted to get the program. We had no no backing. So I cut out 27 violins in cardboard. And I went mm. in and I taught them the basics on cardboard <laughs> violins. And everyone in the community heard, you know, that there were 30 kids that day. Mm. And they were waiting around the block to get in the violin Amazing. program. Amazing. And I was giving them cardboard violins. <laughs> and when everybody heard about that, next thing you know, I got all the violins. And... As I was teaching the children, there was a little boy out in the hall. I'd already given him a lesson, and he was out in the hall teaching everyone, waiting for the lesson, everything I taught no him. No kidding. So here I am in this underprivileged program thinking all these kids are going to come in, I'm going to be teaching. Well, they'd be walking in one after another, showing me they knew everything I was teaching. And finally I said, well, what's going on here? <laughs> and they said, oh, well, Galen, you just taught him. He came out in the hall, and he's teaching all of us. <laughs> and that's one of the things when I learned, wow, these books – the kids teach it. Okay, okay. So Galen went on and got a full scholarship to Interlochen Music Camp. Gorgeous mm. violinist, gorgeous violist, and a very talented young man. Outstanding. And these are the kids, and these are the results. It's exciting. Um, before we let you go, I, I, I want to uh, reveal our secret to the listeners. Eden and I were introduced to each other 
approximately a month ago at PodFest, which was a big event for podcasters. It took place in Tampa, and uh, there was probably, I think, 175 people that came, many of them from around the country. Um, just curious as to what brought you to PodFest, Eden. Well, it's like I tell you, I, I never can find enough stuff to fill my time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm always looking and trying to learn. And like you said, you know, you learn all your life. And that's my, my thing. I do learn all my life. And I didn't know exactly too much about podcasts. So um, a really good friend of mine, Diane Daniels, called and said, you got to be there. If you want to learn, go. So I went and she introduced me to you, yeah. which was a pleasure. And here I am. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, we're going to close today with another, I, I, I'm always saying song, but I, I assume that the proper word is peace. Yes. Uh, we're going to, we're going to close today with another piece from you. This is one <laughs> ironically called classical rock. So uh, before we let you go, tell the listeners all about this piece, please. This was made for the children. This is made for the students. And what we do is we get a big, drum and I get all the kids together and make them practice and we beat on the drum and the kids had such fun but I found out everyone loved it it had a fun little beat and so I just thought it'd be fun to include it on this podcast uh, one thing that we do talk about on this show quite a bit with uh, traditional songwriters is co-writing is there such a thing in your world as co-composing is was this song done solely by you or solely by me as I said, when I write something, I get an idea, and I usually have that song done within 24 hours. So wow. I just decide to do it and do it. And the inspiration hits. If you want to do something, like and this is something for all the listeners, if you want to do something bad enough in life, just sit back and let whatever's inside you talk to you, and then do it. Follow your soul. Outstanding. Well, Eden, thanks ever so much. I really enjoyed talking to you, and I'm really <laughs> appreciative of your coming in here to the studio today for this. Well, I enjoyed talking to you, too. It was fun. Outstanding. Listeners, that will do it for this week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to renowned violinist Eden Vanning. Be sure to visit her website at www.theviolinbook.com. I'm looking at it right now. Use that site to purchase one or more of the many books that she has published. You'll also see one of the many links there. It says Strings of Gold CD, so I'm not going to tell you what that's all about. You'll have to go and visit her <laughs> website for yourself. Uh, plus, as I've already mentioned, there is contact information there so you can get in touch with Eden about the various projects that she is involved with. As you heard her say, she's done 30 books and has 14 more on the way, so... Uh, the well is not going to dry up anytime soon. Don't forget to visit www.nhte.net and sign up for the email newsletter there by simply putting in your email address. And of course, please do subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends about it. Give us a nice review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio too, hopefully accompanied by a five-star rating. That really does help the show a lot. If you are listening on SoundCloud, remember that you can like and share. Well, actually, they call it repost episodes there and you can also follow on soundcloud let's get your feedback on the show too. post your comments or questions on the now hear this facebook page there are links to it and twitter and even the now hear this official youtube channel on nhte.net plus there's a link there to this show on instagram or send us an email the email address is on the contact page of nhte.net we have been recording this show at the great facilities at crystal blue sound studios near tampa florida Check them out online on their website at www.cbpro.net. That's CB as in crystal blue. Thanks for listening. We'll send you out today with another piece from Eden Vanning. This is the one she just talked about. It's called Classical Rock. 